Alright, hello, it's Dermot here, and welcome back to Rupture Radio. This week I'm joined by bus driver and SIP2 member Owen McCormick to discuss recent disputes between drivers, the government and Dublin Bus. Last week, bus drivers rejected proposals jointly agreed by the Transport Unions and Dublin Bus by a margin of nearly 98%. These proposals would have dramatically altered their working conditions for the worse and would have led to further precarity in the sector. Public transport is a massive issue at the moment when it comes to climate change and the need to transform society. However, instead of prioritising a just transition for workers, employers continue to drive down working conditions and increase precarity. It's admirable to see the workers were not willing to take this line down, but it's likely that this is not the last struggle when it comes to the conditions of public transport workers. Owen opens the discussion by outlining the nature of these proposals and where they first arose. Well, they, they came initially from uh, Dublin Bus, uh, from the company. <clears throat> there had been negotiations for, uh, for quite a number of months between the unions and uh, Dublin Bus. And they were, Dublin Bus claimed that they were there, that they needed these proposals, they needed these, this new work, work practice in order to implement the uh, Bus Connects plans. <clears throat> People will know Bus Connects is, is, a, is a plan devised by the NTA. It started, it started already, actually, in Clontarf, in the Clontarf area. Um, and it's meant to be a, a total revamp of uh, of the Dublin bus services. So instead of the traditional route system that we have, you know, whether it's the number four or the number forty six A, it's all been redesigned. There's quite a lot of controversy about it in some areas at the time. So Dublin bus claim that in order to implement this new proposal from the NTA, they would have to radically change the work rosters that we have and how we how we actually operate the services. So that's where the proposal came from. There were months of negotiations. And the unions basically unveiled it about four weeks ago uh, to drivers. Um, and I know that the headline news for, uh, you know, the, what captured the headlines was that there was a 15% pay, pay rise involved in the proposals. But that wasn't really, you know, the 15% was, there was a sleight of hand involved in that. It was over six years based on productivity. But it was actually the, the work proposals themselves were, were, the, were the issue. What the, you know, the new rosters that we would work, the length of the work a day. Um, the length of driving time behind the wheel. This this wasn't just a simple changing of routes or you know driving more routes. It would effectively mean that for weeks on end and for months on a go, a driver would be 10, 11 hours away from home and driving over eight hours and sometimes nine hours. And we saw the schedules and we saw we saw what was being asked of us. And you know, frankly, a lot of all the drivers, a lot of, not all the drivers, people like yourself who were there quite a number of years found it extremely threatening. This this was, for us, this was essentially an attempt to implement the conditions that are fairly standard in the private sector. And we found it extraordinarily threatening. And also just something that physically would be very difficult for us to do over a period of years, you know. Reading the discussion on it, it's... Um it's being posed in many different ways. Obviously, there's a necessary revamp of a lot of the routes, but this is being used to drive down the working conditions of uh, the workers. And obviously, that was recognised quite early on. When was it that workers first got word of these proposals? Well, we saw that there's a 34 pegs document called the Transformational Agreement. That has, that has a lot of detail in it, but that was, that was released about four weeks ago. And around the same time, then, the company released... Uh, um, suggested schedules, what the, the new schedules would be, what the new rosters would be. There's, there's an awful lot in the agreement. Um, there's, there's, there is the 15% pay rise and how that's implemented over six years. There's also, um, you know, various other, you know, bits and pieces. And we, we saw the other you know, the elements of it really as just attempts to sell it. The core element of it was the schedule and guidelines. 
uh, how our working day would be altered. And I know that in some cases this was presented as a, a debate about, oh, you know, we don't want to walk anymore than our, than our usual routes. You know, <laughs> that's not really what it's about. There, there was an element, obviously, of a system that we call marked in where if you're a senior driver, you you just operate one route all the time. Uh, but the vast majority of workers, actually, the vast majority of Dublin bus drivers drive multiple routes <clears throat> in, 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 in a week or for all time, you know. So yeah. driving different routes isn't really the big issue. Um, it's a issue, but it's not the big issue. The issue was we saw the rosters and we saw the length of the working day. We saw um, the, the number of hours we would be away from home. And we saw this as a, as a usually radical re- revamping of our, of our conditions and of our traditional way of doing things. Um, and we have, you know, the, the system we have, the system we, we walk, we have, you know, tried to hold on to that and work for that over decades. This isn't something that just arrived yesterday. It's something that bus workers have actually campaigned for and, and defended many attempts in the past by the company. They implement different ways of rosters and they've been resisted. So, and it's not unusual. It, from the point of view of the company, it's, it's really technical to explain it. So I won't bother explaining this. Such, but it, there is a huge saving for the company. It, it means you get a lot more productivity out of a driver. Flexibility to, to change their routes on the same day. You have the flexibility to get them uh, walking eight, eight, nine hours a day behind the wheel. So there's a huge saving for any company that implements that. So from the point of view of the company, we understood that they've always wanted this. It's always been on the wish list. Uh, and traditionally, our unions have always resisted it uh, and always defended it. And I think what caused a lot of outrage when we saw the schedules was that this was being presented jointly by the company and the union. Um, and it was being presented in a way in which you know, you were meant to be thankful for the 15% pay rate that was going to deliver by 2024. But also, it was being presented by the unions in a way in which was was sort of like a, there was a veiled threat, which was that if we didn't adopt this new work practice, uh, the NTA would eventually uh, hand their routes over to private operators. So although the NTA had no direct role in this, they, they didn't have a direct impact in this, they had no negotiations in this thing. Uh, the NTA were being, you know, sort of, told to us as being the bogeyman behind all this, that they, they right. would take our routes away and our jobs away if we didn't agree to this. Because this is a system that the private company go ahead operate. And it's a system that's quite common in, in other private companies. Um, so that, that threat that, like, you know, we had to sort of step up here and adopt these new working practices or else eventually we would lose these routes. That really enraged a lot of drivers. It really made a lot of drivers very angry. And the, there was a huge disconnect between the union that negotiated, the unions that negotiated this deal and that had thought that this was the best deal they could get. And they said it openly, this is the best deal we can get. You'll all, you'll all be earning 51,000. And I think that a lot of drivers realize very quickly, and 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 this isn't this isn't personalizing any attack on anybody, that the people who would negotiate this this agreement weren't going to actually be walking the rosters. Of course. Yeah. And that kind of struck a lot of drivers as being the ultimate truth of this, that in the abstract, you can look at this agreement and if you, if you don't actually have to walk it, it looks okay from the outside. But those of us who, who've been in the job for a number of years realize that driving up like buses in a, you know, in a city environment, um, it's a, it can be a difficult, it can be a difficult thing to do over long term. And there's an awful lot of, uh, the, the wire, for example, in Britain and elsewhere, an awful lot of studies about the health impacts of, uh, of city bus driving, especially on one-person routes. And it's it, it takes its toll. It takes its toll on, on people who were there for 10, 20, 30 years. And being asked to then adopt this new system, which meant a hell of a lot more hours um, in your working day, and a hell of a lot more driving time, we, we, we saw it as quite threatening. And we saw that the, the unions just didn't seem to get just how threatening we found that or how 
how much of, a, of an ass that was. Uh, they thought the 15% pay rise and, and, the, and the other few bits and pieces would be enough. Um, so there was a massive disconnect between the union officials who were recommending the steel and the instinctive, the instinctive feeling of all drivers. And it was universal. It was all drivers. It wasn't just all drivers or new drivers. It was all drivers. They, they saw this really as effectively, uh, despite the 15% pay rise, effectively Dublin bus implementing privatised standards of, of conditions and of work practices. Uh, something that we had always been, you know, you know, I always fought in the past, and our unions had always fought in the past. I think you you can't really get a more striking example of the what what is often discussed that the disconnect between, say, your union heads or union bureaucrats and the rest of the workers, in that these proposals, which were jointly proposed, were rejected by ninety seven percent of workers, nearly ninety eight. How how are things looking at the moment? What has been the response to the vote, and how are things looking like they'll develop from here on? Well, we a lot of us were worried. A lot of us who've been 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 active in the unions for years were worried that um, after the vote, it was fairly obvious early on that this would be rejected, and the unions kind of accepted that. They had a number of series of meetings where it got quite hot and heavy, <coughs> in fairness. And um, but they they accepted. They knew this was going to uh, be rejected. But in the past, there has been. I mean, we have often had these kind of rank and file rebellions in, mm. in the bus. And the the past has always been, and this is not just airplanes, I think it applies to a lot of workplaces, the unions come back again and the company come back again. And there's a second ballot and then there's a third ballot. And sometimes even a fourth ballot, I think in 2016 or 2013, we had five ballots until, until as the joke was, we got the right result. <laughs> um, this time around though, was, was different because you know, we, we feared if it had been 70-30, if there had been some sort of chink of light for the, for the, for the yeah. unions, for the company, they would have come back again. The rejection of this was so overwhelming and um, was, was so emphatic that it's really, and in fact, both unions have released a statement yesterday where they accept that, where they say that they accept that this is dead in the water <clears throat> and that the proposal, and, and in fairness, uh, although they didn't do it during the, during the discussions, they didn't do it immediately afterwards, both union officials seem to have accepted that the core issue was uh, the new work crossers, the new uh, what's called uh, garage blocking. Uh, now that doesn't mean it's, it's dead in the water because clearly the bus wanted uh, there's a huge saving there for the bus and the threat is still there that by 2024 uh, the NTA will come and, and steal our, our, our routes away from us because we're not, we're not competitive um, so it hasn't gone away completely but uh, there's an awful lot of chastened union officials and union reps around saying okay that's it we got the message that's dead that's dead in the water we won't obtain any more of this um, and that's that's as far as we know it's not the end of the whole project I think to change working conditions or to try and drive down conditions in the in, in, in the bus to the standards that are there in the private sector. But uh, for now, it's it's a fairly emphatic uh, result and it, it really does, you know, put people back in the box in terms of what they're trying to, what, you know, when they're trying to change conditions. I, I just want to touch on that that kind of dynamic there that you mentioned. You, you've mentioned a few times now the role that the, the National Transport Agency, the NTA, is playing in this and how there is that threat of what is currently public routes being taken under the National Transport Agency. How is that? How does that dynamic play out, and what role does the National Transport Agency play in this? Is that that's like a, a private body or government body? Like, what is the yeah the setup there? The joke that we used to have, I, I don't know who came up with the with the phrase, was that we discussed we 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 said the NTA was like the HSC on wheels. Basically, it's it's a quango which allows the government to implement quite political and ideological policies without a remove. <clears throat> so, if you ask a question of Eamon Ryan, for example, about any particular service issue. He'll say, oh, oh, this has nothing to do with me. I'll have to refer this to the NTA. They're a totally right. independent body and they make totally independent decisions about transport. 
Um, and if you ask the NTA what they thought of the attempt to drive down conditions, uh, they say that's got nothing whatever to do with us. We're just the agency that awards these contracts. We're looking for value for money for taxpayers. And it's entirely up to Dublin Bus or Go Ahead or whoever uh, provides the service. So they, they, they're, they're also at pains to say that this isn't privatization. And, and part of the reason there's a kind of interesting, for me anyway, interesting historical reason for that, is that they have been attempting, uh, uh, various governments have been attempting for about 30 years development prioritization, uh, wholesale prioritization of uh, transport, of, of uh, COE. And they were beaten back effectively over the years uh, by concerted union and, and, and workers' campaigns. And often by strike action. Uh, many, many years ago, Seamus Brennan, the Fianna Fáil minister, attempted or floated the idea of privatizing an entire Dublin bus garage. And it, it led to uh, unofficial stoppages, it led to walkouts, it led to protests, and it back, they backed away from it. Um, and they've had to back away. But what they did eventually was set up an agency, initially the, what was called Dublin Transportation Office, now the National Transport Asian Agency. And they gave them responsibility, which had traditionally been responsibility of COE group, of the individual uh, groups themselves, so COE, within COE, that's Bus Erden or, or Israel or Dublin Bus in this case. And they, they've accumulated a huge amount of power. They've, they've actually got a massive amount of power uh, over transport policy in general in the country. Uh, so they, they, they control taxis, they control rail, they control Lewis. Uh, they operate under, under you might, if you see buses going around Dublin bus, uh, you'll increasingly find it difficult to find a bus that says Dublin bus, okay. uh, or even go ahead. What you'll find is a bus, all the buses are decked with, with colours of the transport for Ireland, and this is the NTA. So the NTA now effectively control um, and have ownership of almost every bus, uh, every bus in the city. And they've accumulated huge power in doing that. Now, if you look at the, the NTA's website or the, the Bus Connects plans, it kind of says all the right things. It talks about climate. It talks about the mm. need for better transport. It talks about, you know, how we have to get people out of cars. So it says all the right things. But underneath that, really, for me anyway, and, and I think a lot of bus drivers, there's a deep, deep neoliberal agenda. So they have, over, the, over, over recent years, they've began the policy of tendering out, competitive tendering. So it's like every everything else in, in the public service. You know, it's a service, and we're just here to try and get the best um, price for the taxpayers. That's what they say. So we're going to tender out these services. And they've, they started a number of years back, they awarded 10% of Dublin bus services to a private company, Go Ahead. This is a, a British multinational, a British multinational with, with an appalling record, incidentally, in Britain. Of, of service provision and of workers' rights. But they were given uh, these buses. They were given the buses and given help at setting up the garages and given the routes. Um, and they operate 10% of the services, what were called the orbital service around the city. Um, and that was the first really successful implementation of a privatization strategy. It, it's been a bit of a disaster in terms of service, but that's, you know, they don't, they don't want to talk about that too much because um, we know it's been a bit of a disaster because of various, for various issues. But for them, it's it's like a goldmine. It means that they've got a private company in that they can use as a benchmark uh, for the rest of it. So despite all the rhetoric about the NTA being, you know, interested in climate, interested in public transport, for us, its primary purpose has been to introduce these neoliberal kind of reforms into transport. Um, and even the Bus Connects plans itself. I mean, Bus Connects is presented as a radical overhaul um, of, of the city's bus services and as, you know, somehow, somehow being involved or being connected to the climate crisis. It's really not, you know. I mean, there are positive elements of it. Um, the, the dedicated bus lines are positive. The, the investment in, in transport is positive. But it's quite, it's quite a um, small scale, really. It, it's really just a, a rebrand and a, re, a redesign of the city routes 
some of that might be you know might be useful they brought in a guy from Canada to redesign all the city routes um, at the end of the day though unless you actually dramatically increase the capacity of the service you're not really going to do much to get people out of cars you know and at the end of the day the, the actual numbers of buses that NTA on the bus connects the village it's actually quite small you know so it's, not a, it's not a massive revolutionary sort of leap um, it's just a redesign some of it may be clever some of it may, may not be so clever but, but it's not the answer to the public transport crisis or you know the crisis of climate but the NTA's primary goal as far as we can see and as far as we're concerned has been to implement neoliberal reforms competitive tendering right. and to try to bring in private conditions privatized conditions into, into the state companies and in that way, increase the precarity for drivers and drive down the working conditions. It is interesting there that you say that this plan, instead of giving greater efficiency or a, a big increase in bus capacity and fleet sizes, which is obviously needed, uh, it's a reworking of the, the existing network. Public transport is a major issue at the moment in the context of climate change and the need to transform society. How do issues that arise in this dispute relate to calls to make public transport free, green and frequent and for a just transition? Well, I think it was really important. I mean, obviously for drivers, for the bulk of drivers themselves, you know, the wider issues around just transition or climate didn't, you know, didn't really come into it. Fear was, fear was did argue this with guys because we, we also understood that if it comes to a dispute, if it comes to a strike, one of the things that would be used against us or, you know, obviously a lot of things in the media would be used against us, but we could imagine that one of the things that would be used against us is, look at these fellas. They're, they're trying to stop the implementation of Bus Connects yeah. and look at the, the planet's on fire. Uh, you know, climate chaos is getting worse and these guys are trying to stop, uh, you know, a radical uh, shift in public transport policy. So we, we were kind of aware of that, that if it does, it does down the road come to dispute, the issue of climate, you know, would actually be used against us uh, because people, would, you know, maybe get the detail of what's going on. But in fact, uh, so we were arguing among ourselves that uh, we should try and adapt. We should try to take apart the climate arguments in a way in which we, we took on the issue of just transition because, you know, we all know there's going to be thousands of jobs. You know, if we're serious about climate, there's going to be thousands of jobs gone in certain industries, whether that's in the old traditional fossil fuel industries or aviation and so on. And therefore, there is a need that to ensure that there are decent climate jobs, climate-related jobs elsewhere. And the big one, I mean, there obviously are bigger bigger places you can look to in terms of renewable energies or or you know retrofitting homes, uh, but also a big one would be public transport, and therefore for us it's really important that we hold and we hold that idea of a secure, pensionable, decent job that's available in public transport, and that public transport is a place that people from other industries that have to change could come and could get secure yeah. conditions, unionised, uh, you know, unionised and pensionable jobs, uh, and 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 really tackle the climate issue itself, and tackle you know actually present a real alternative to cars and real alternative to the huge emissions that are coming from, uh, from the transport sector. So for us, it was quite important. Uh, the, the problem with the Bus Connects plan, I mean, and as I said, there are positive elements of it, but the problem is that it, it doesn't really, if you look at what's happened in the globe in terms of climate, the Bus Connects plan is really just a, it's a pale shadow of, of what's needed, you know. Um, it doesn't really have any visionary sort of uh, outlook of public transport. Um, and the NTA, I think it's, a, to be honest with you, I think it's a secondary issue for the NTA. They're talking about at the end of the Bus Connects plans to be, um, and how do you measure these things are slightly dubious as far as I can make out, but they talk about 23% increase in services. But quite a lot of that increase is actually based upon the kind of new work rosters that we would have, effectively working more. Some of it is based on an increase in services, but I mean, if you go back to 2009, um, before the crisis hit, we had, in Dublin Bus, we had about 1,200 buses. And we still have less than that. We still have about, I think at the moment, about 1,100. So even with the increase that they're promising, 
you're still only getting back up or slightly beyond the levels of buses that we had in 2008, 2009. And we know the climate crisis is obviously much more dramatic and much worse now. So it doesn't seem to me to be a kind of response that's fit for the crisis we have. And I don't think the NTA is an agency is an agency that really gets climate or really gets the importance of the, of the issue. They're, they're, they're much more concerned, I think, with the whole neoliberal ideology of you know competitive tendering and and uh, and uh, you know privatizing individual services. And that's that's happening at a pace. Not just you know, we we've resisted it to a certain extent to the bus, but what's happening in bus air, for example, and it's kind of scandalous. You know, and if you looked at what's actually going on there, it's actually quite scandalous what's going on at bus air. The deliberate undermining of the bus air and services, the constant tendering out of routes, the constant licensing of for-profit operations that undermine the bus air network, and and the the, the notion of of you know the, the erosion of services to towns and villages across across the country. Now again, if you go on the bus connects, if you go on the NTA's website, they'll try to give you the impression they're doing the opposite that they're actually you know funding local link services. But these are very often st- stopgap measures to compensate for the fact that they were drawn services that bus air have been forced to withdraw services from a lot of towns and villages yeah. over the last uh, ten years. Just lastly, then the proposals have been rejected now, um, but you're saying that it's likely that they come back with another ballot, or or we end up in in that kind of situation where they try and break down that ninety eight percent. So where are things likely to progress at the moment, and and how can listeners kind of support um, support the drivers if it does if it does like escalate in any way, or we do open up into like a, a bigger dispute? Uh, well, well, some of it depends on what the Dublin bus company do. Um, mm. I mean, our argument has been that the bus connects plan, whatever you think of it, whether you think it's the greatest thing since sludge bread or whether you don't, isn't doesn't really depend upon <laughs> doesn't really depend upon us working ten hours a day. Or we can implement bus connects under existing scheduling guidelines, but there is a cost involved in that that would mean it would actually mean more jobs, for example, more actual duties being created and the working times that we have at the moment being respected. So bus connects can, can come in. It can, it can be implemented in the next in the next few months in the different sectors under the existing scheduling guidelines. Uh, so they don't have to create a crisis. They don't have to create a dispute over it. But um, it, some of it depends, obviously, on, on whether Dublin Bus uh, want to push the issue. Um, if they don't, then then uh, and if the statement from the two unions is is, uh, is genuine, and I, I I think to an element it is, then I don't see how they how they can come back with a plan B that's based on that plan. I honestly don't see that. It, had it been eighty percent, I would say they would take their chances on a, yeah. on a second ballot. But ninety-seven percent is uh, almost ninety-eight percent is so emphatic. I don't think they can. So for now, it's 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 sort of I think gonna we'll know in the next few weeks what the attitude of the company is. But for now, I think the the, the majority of the the numbers were so overwhelming, and the, the feeling on the ground is so determined to say no to this that uh, it's very difficult to see how they can resurrect it or how they can sort of revamp it in any meaningful way. Uh, bus connects can roll in; it can come in under existing guidelines. Um, what happens in the future, though, is is, is slightly different because obviously there is the threat uh, from the NTA in the background, and and, and from Eamon Ryan because Eamon Ryan has ultimate control over the NTA uh, that they will use this as an excuse to start tender to try and tender out more routes from the bus. And this is happening at the moment in Bus Erden, so that constant threat of uh, of trying to privatise your service and. At the end of the day, when they talk about competitive tendering, I mean, they can dress it up as they want, but, you know, go ahead, operate buses that are handed to them by the NTA. They're paid for by the state. The cost of the diesel is the same. The cost of the tour is the same. Every cost is static, uh, regardless of what company operates the service. The only cost that isn't the same is the cost of labor, the workers' wages, the workers' conditions. So when they talk about competitive tendering between the companies, they're talking about competitive tendering between workers and workers' conditions. So that's still there. 
yet the AI is driven by that side of the Zora to implement a try to award routes to different companies in order to, in order to, 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 to uh, drill down or to push down those wages and conditions. So that's still there. The, 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 the next deadline is 2024, where they're, they're saying explicitly that they will try to tender out more routes, more, another section of routes. Uh, and that's, you know, ultimately that's, that's, that's down to us to fight that um, as a workforce. And I think there has been one of the points we were trying to make at the union meetings was that there has been, whilst in the past, the, the, the issue of privatization and tendering out was seen as, you know, a given, uh, you know, something that was absolutely certain to happen. I think there's been a huge question of the whole model, um, not just in transport, but across the world, really, uh, and across sectors in terms of even how the health service was able to respond to COVID. So it's no longer the, it's no longer the shiny new idea. It's been questioned much more and resisted much more. And I think that an organised workforce like Dublin Bus are in a good position to question a further. This isn't this isn't the future. This can't be the future. Not with the climate crisis. Not with the sort of with the sort of things we're facing the next next ten or fifteen years. We you know having these kind of games of competitive tendering where you try to award routes to your favourite multinational isn't the response that we need. Climate, you know, um, and, and that across the board in every industry. But it really, what it needs is resistance, and I think the bus workers are well placed. We've we fought it for many years, and and um, I think that after that vote, there's confidence there that we can we can go on and fight the NTA and any agenda to privatise in the future. Yeah, I completely agree, and think that's a good note to leave things on. Just finally, is there anything listeners should keep an eye out for in the next few weeks? Well, I suppose just just keep an eye on the news. So for now, for now, I think that the result is so overwhelming. I don't think it's yeah going to resurrect itself anytime soon. But I could be wrong. You know, they might they might come back again. Perfect, and I'll stick any links I find in the episode description. Thanks a million for joining me on, and thanks a million to everyone for listening. See you next time.